Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. All right, welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Very excited for today's episode. As you know, what we're going to learn today is a little bit more about, you know, innovation, technology, and the complex relationship between technological innovations and performance innovations and how those two variables relate to each other in a way that is scalable and actually changes the way some things are actually done with regards to uh, physical training, but also cognitive training and overall performance. So, you know, very excited to share with our audience today the brilliance of Mark Saab and some of his work in this space. I know, I know he'll downplay it, but he's got a great level of experience in performance enhancement and technology. And it's kind of a very rare relationship between those two fields that he's brought into his clinical practice. We actually became connected through a, a mutual contact and friend, Dr. Len Zykowski, who is a wonderful human being. And, uh, you know, I've kept in touch with Mark over the years and just very excited to be able to share some of these uh, learnings with our audience today. You know, Mark, I wanted to quickly introduce Mark. Mark is a, uh, it's really, a, a, you know, comes from the engineering kind of background. Mark has a, a master's in biomedical engineering, I believe from McGill, and is somebody that is really passionate about the topic of performance and how to better scale that in a way that's accessible to help really as many people as possible to realize their potential. Mark uh, runs BML Technology out of Quebec, but actually works very closely with many companies looking to bring new technologies into kind of the ecosystem out there in the world. And uh, we really look forward to having you with us today, Mark. Thanks for spending time with us. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I'm looking forward to it. I'm happy to be with you today. Uh, That's awesome. So is there anything you kind of wanted to add to your bio and and for listeners to better understand, keeping in mind, these are typically people who work in kind of the health space or performance uh, uh, space. Sure. I think you captured it well. We, BML helps companies to develop medical technology. And sometimes that overlaps with performance and performance enhancement. And what we've seen in the past, you probably started around 10 years ago growing and five years ago has really led to some disruptive innovation and, and really started taking taking off, but we've seen this kind of merging of consumer technology fields, medical technology fields, and performance. You mentioned physical and cognitive training, uh, performance enhancement technology, all evolving and, and starting to meet in the middle. And we found a real interesting sweet spot there where I think you said it well, we're, we're myself and, and colleagues and partners, we're lucky to have you know, experience and a view of both sides the technology side and the actual clinical or, you know, application space. And that gives us a really strong understanding of how those things go together. And it's not very straightforward necessarily. So we're, we're lucky and we're happy to be kind of in this amazing time where these fields are merging and we happen to have that experience. So uh, we're having a lot of fun and we're helping companies with a lot of challenges. You know? That's wonderful. Uh, Mark, you know, you're somebody who something that really sticks out to me is you're very curious, you know, you're constantly, you know, trying to ask questions as to how things are currently functioning and operating and then 
trying to wonder, okay, what if we ask this question, what could potentially occur and what could that actually potentially do to the stakeholders involved in that particular area? Absolutely. And the, and the curiosity is not, uh, it doesn't come from a childhood fascination or anything romantic, unfortunately, or, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, it comes more from engineering cynicism <laughs> because we're bred to show proof for everything. So you get through with asking why, why, why until you can't, and, you know, until you get to the fundamental reason. So we need to see proof in pudding before we, uh, before we believe something that's very, it's a very engineering mentality, but curiosity is driven by their need to understand really for us. Well, for me, I should say for me, I guess. For sure. For sure. That, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I'm sure will resonate with so many, you know, for people that are listening, you know, typically we've had many, you know, medical doctors on, we've had, you know, people who may be, you know, suffering due to any kind of neurological condition or mental health condition. And people who run organizations, but with your background, it's really interesting in that you bring more that engineering, you know, experience and mindset. You know, when we think about the world of digital brain health, my goodness, it must seem, you know, really, it's going to be interesting to hear more of your perspective because it's such a contemporary topic now, you know, we're, especially around assessment, we're seeing so much out there, not just from what used to be kind of psychological assessments are now you know, these kind of portable neurotechnologies for people that are listening, you know, what's a main message that you'd want for people to better understand from this perspective of, you know, looking at digital health is a, is a, you know, it's kind of a tag word out there. Now you're hearing a lot about it. And for people that are listening, maybe distilling it down. And I think you've done this for me in the past, helping me to better understand it. You know, what, what is the main message for, you know, the person out there that might be newer to these sorts of technologies that you'd want for people to just better understand around yeah. this world of digital health? I think it's a, good, it's a good question because there's so much talk about disruptive technology entering the medical field. We hear so much about AI replacing doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, we work closely with engineering teams that are developing AI in, in collaboration with doctors. So we know the nuts and bolts of it. But then when I look at, when I see what's what kind of articles make it to the news cycle and how people that are not necessarily, you know, kind of how the kind of everyday person that doesn't have that knowledge discusses it. Then you think there's such a major gap, you know, in understanding AI is going to replace doctors and, and algorithms will be able to diagnose disease. And you think, well, there's some of that, but it's not exactly that. So there's certainly a lot of misunderstanding like everything else, but you know, what, what's, what everybody working in the field understands eventually that things that work well with the human body take time. And that is a very, very fundamental theme in everything we do. So now, you know, in, in this kind of digital technology startup world, you get app updates every week. And, you know, the average time somebody keeps an app that they download, I think is under 10 seconds, if you can believe that, Mark. So you get down the Play Store or the App Store and you download an app and you try it. And if you don't like it, you delete it within 10 to 15 seconds or something like wow. that. So imagine that pace of technological, you know, combining all the factors. So technological innovation, development, and adoption and usage, and how intensely fast and competitive that is. And then, you know, compare that to traditional medical technology development, which is on the order of eight to 12 to 15 years before you can commercialize a product in certain cases. And you've got a real mismatch, you know, in terms of everything, in terms of technological need, in terms of budgets, in terms of time, in terms of expectations, 
in terms of usage, like how are people wow. going to use these things? So the 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 common motivator in, in all of this is to say new kinds of technologies will help you manage your own health better. So digital health is about bringing management of health to the patient and saying that the point of care is going to shift from the clinic or the hospital or the or the doctor or or you know licensed healthcare practitioner themselves and it's going to shift to the patient. So I will be able to wear devices that will measure things and tell the doctors how I'm doing. I'll be able to use my own phone to manage my you know prescriptions, appointments, you know everything under the sun that has to do with health. I'm not forgetting your question here. Mm. We're still a little far from digital technology taking yeah. over. Okay, you know, right. like like the classical way that we manage health right now will be upended. We've been hearing it for years, and it's going to take a lot longer, and it's going to take some very critical milestones to be reached that are not being reached yet. So there's amazing mm. development going on. There's amazing innovation going on. There's certainly a lot of attention, but the success stories and success is measured in a lot of different ways. So when we see companies being acquired, that that's the success story for certain people involved, of course, right? Mm-hmm. Exciting startups getting big funding. That's a success story for that startup. Right. But how does it affect me as a, you know, a patient in the Canadian healthcare system or an elderly person in the American healthcare system? You know, how does that affect us at the end of the day? There are a few of those still. Right. Okay? So the good right. news and the bad news is that it takes time because the bad news is we all want change and we all want it right away, especially if we know we can benefit from it. But the good news is it takes time because it needs to be safe. It needs to work. You don't just make healthcare decisions, you know, major changes in healthcare systems overnight. I love because, it. Because there's massive, massive implications and the medical field is right to be reticent to change. I agree. Way. It's not that doctors want to save their jobs. These are all, these are all, you know, myths that, yeah. we, that yeah. we perpetrate because we're frustrated, but doctors don't want to only save their jobs. Doctors want to save your lives. And then they want to think about their jobs after they're done saving your lives. You know, they don't want to lose their jobs, certainly to a machine. But the number one thing they care about is getting outcomes right and getting patient care right. And the entire system is so fraught with challenges and it's so frustrating that they're also frustrated, just like we are. Of course. So I guess I went all around the world with that answer. But the reality is that there's a ton of really interesting stuff happening. We see it up close and we know where the points of progress will come from. We see the things that are working well and the things that still need time. But the take-home message is that there's amazing things happening, but they're going to take time. And then they're going to take leadership and high-level decision-making, not just doctors sending people home with consumer wearables that will diagnose disease, more like governments deciding to implement programs nationwide. and, And all of a sudden, those wheels turning when there's real momentum around solutions that's going to take time but it's starting it's happening and it sounds like like that gives me a great sense of hope right when i hear that because here's somebody with definitely more the kind of engineering scientific systems background saying that you know be patient but technology is coming we are seeing it you know in front of us you know even by you know some of these watches that we can find and some of these other consumer grade type technologies that are available it can help one person at least compare, you know, oneself to yesterday to today. And there's very, very smart people like Mark and his team, but other people that Mark and his team would work with who are continuing to vet technologies to try to get them to a place where they're ready 
for real-time application, right. but just recognizing that that takes a lot of time and rigor and iteration, right? Yeah, well said. Rigor is the another keyword there. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I so there's the reason for hope, and I and I really see that and feel that. And you and I have had many conversations around that. But I'm also curious when you think about this world and the world of innovation and and kind of health technology. What frustrates you if there's only one kind of main kind of thing, one theme that kind of frustrates you around this as well? Oh, that's a good question. I haven't thought about that. I tend to think optimistically and about problem solving. Of course, of course. But I'm sure a lot of things frustrate me. <laughs> um, how much time do we have on the podcast? I mean, in terms of the general understanding, I guess I... Just one, just one thing. It could be a theme too. It could just be a general theme. Well, listen, it, it's a, everything's a two-sided coin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a, there are glass half full people, you know, the optimists, there are glass half empty, the pessimists, and engineers are considered design oriented. So I look at that and I say, that's just twice as much glass as you need for that amount of water. You know? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very scientific approach. So I try not to be emotional about these things, but I guess, Okay, uh, unrealistic expectations. Mm. I don't get emotional about them, but they do cause a lot of challenges for everybody working because if people think things will take uh, will be to you know be easier than they are, or they'll take a lot less time than they naturally do, or we assign too much risk to something that should be not so much risk. You know, yeah, uh, reticence to change I mentioned earlier is a good thing in one way. If it's fear driven and the blinders are on, then you know, that's a, that's a real detriment to progress. So I guess, yeah, there's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of miscommunication around, around things, but that's my answer, I guess. Yeah. I think that's a a really good answer. And I think oftentimes, you know, I'll be, you know, vulnerable. I've definitely been guilty of that, you know, underestimating the amount of complexity in making any sort of, you know, technological change you know, I was listening to, you know, someone who was interviewed who, who developed, I think it was on uh, Guy Raz's show, How I Built This. And I think it was the folks who built Kayak, that initial app. And what they were saying is that really hit home for me was, you know, to develop something that, that is simple to use, it's extremely hard. It's excruciating. It's excruciating yeah, from, a, from an engineering perspective. Yeah, and the reason it's ex- excruciating is it had to put so much rigor i love that term that word in order to make that user interface seamless for you yeah yeah and that's really bringing that kind of investment into the experience and ultimately the impact of the tool that you've developed well listen it's funny because i use kayak all the time and i love it Mm -hmm. but not you know the interface is one thing but then think of something simple like the processing time which is simple but not easy if it mm. takes too long, you'll stop using it, even if the interface is great. If it takes too long, because Kayak searches a lot of different databases to get you that information. Right. But then if we want to bring the analogy into a medical technology context, you add a lot of layers onto that Kayak app. So now there's a clinical layer. There's a safety layer. So there are ISO standards around safety. There are you know government-imposed standards around clinical use. And then there's all the regulatory. This is a regulated industry. We're not, we haven't talked about that yet. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's like you can't just make a plane in your backyard and fly it off the local runway. <laughs> you know, this is, it takes a lot longer because things are regulated because they're triple checked and then they're approved by the government before I you love can, it. 
before you can use them. So, and then once you get all that right, the business model in health technology is extremely complex. So it's not a company selling a product to a user. It's a five or six headed monster. You know, the, the person that's making the decision to purchase the technology is not the same person that's receiving and installing it. It's not the same person that might use it. It's not the same person that interprets it. So people always say, doctors will love this tech. They're going to start using it in this way. And you say, well, right. even if the doctor loves it, the hospital might not buy it and the insurance company might not pay for it or the Canadian government might not pay for it in our, in our neck of the woods, right? Yeah. And the doctor's not going to use it. A technician is going to use it and the doctor's going to interpret it and they might only see the report. They right. might not even know, you know, and the person that benefits from it is a completely different person as well. That's the patient. So yeah. you want the patient experience there and the outcomes and the benefits to the patient. But it, that chain has to go through that five-headed monster that is not the same in every country. Mm-hmm. So your scale is very, is very challenging. But once you tick all those boxes, you get the tech right, you get the safety right, you get the clinical application right, you get through all the regulatory hurdles. If you don't have the right business model, which is very complex, Uh, People will not benefit from that technology. And then if, even if you get all of that right and patients don't like it and they get to decide to opt in or opt out, you missed another check mark that you've got to miss. So that's why these things take a lot of time, but in terms of uh, rigor, there's rigor at every one of those stages, you know? So it's, that's why it takes time. Makes sense. Yeah. No, I love it. And I think it's, I think it's, that's the thing. If you can pass through those, those, five monsters, right? And, and, and iterate through each step with the, you, you know, to go to Simon's the next step with your why as your filter at each point. Sure. And then at the end, revision and say, okay, here's where we've landed and you're still there. You know, both of us can appreciate that. You're in a pretty good place because it, it, then you can start thinking, okay, how can we really ensure that what we're doing is going to try to continue to do the good both, you know, right. with integrity, both, you know, literally and figuratively, right. you know, very, very important. So right. I think that's a really, really good insight that I don't think anybody's ever shared on, on this podcast. And I think it's very, very well-founded. Okay, now, right. something that I wonder, you know, whenever I have really bright people on with me, which I'm fortunate to be surrounded by, I want to learn and, and I always get the opportunity to do so. And if I was wondering in the world of, of health tech, but also innovation and just in general, you know, someone like yourself, who's quite eclectic, you know, here's a, a real science mind, but also uh, a culture nerd as well. I say that with all due respect, Mark, sure. um, you know, what, what's uh, maybe one or two really influential books for you that have really helped to, or papers or even talk could even be movies. I think there's one that, that that sounds like uh, starts with an R and ends in a Y that, that we were talking about the other day. But, that's emotional. Know, yeah, that's emotional. Um, is, oh. there, is there one or two or, or or anything that you can that you can think about that really resonate for you? Yeah, sort of things that I've taken in that have changed the way I think about. Things. Yeah, or yeah. even even framed it. I mean, uh, for me, Mark, one of the ones that I really think resonates for me. There's a couple. Barbara Aerosmith-Young's book really changed my life and changed my mind around what's possible in the brain. I used to always think that only physical conditions could be really changed once you've hit a certain developmental age, and that's just not true. And on the cognitive side, definitely Barbara Aerosmith-Young's book showed 
what can be done and what some of the potentials for neuroplasticity is throughout the lifetime on a human brain. But the other one that really resonates for me is, you know, and it's less, you know, much less scientific is that, you know, people like Bruce Lipton's biology of belief, but also it's something that I learned very young was the little engine that could, right? You know, if you really focus on what you're trying sure. to accomplish sure. and you're in front of the hill, you know, if you actually believe that you might be able to do it, the chances are you're probably going to be in a better place than you're currently at. You may not get all the way up that mountain, but sure. you're still in a better spot than you're currently at. Sure. You put one foot in front of the other. So that's something that I, you know, my, my parents read to me and, you know, being from Montreal, maybe it's the hockey sweater. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just looking around. I'm just looking around my desk at stuff yeah, that you know, yeah. over the years you put up to keep to keep the inspiration. Ah, yeah. And it's yeah. funny how I don't I don't really think about them, but there I know there's these. Now I'm looking at them, thinking, "Oh, that was a really big source of inspiration to me at one point, and now it's ah. a nice memory." But yeah. you're right. I, you're right. I, I sometimes I struggle to put my finger on the one perfect answer, and I gotta stop trying to yeah. do that because so many things you, you're, you're right. I'm, I'm very eclectic in my taste and in my, mm-hmm. uh, and in, and the things that I, I enjoy and the things that I take in. So that makes it hard to kind of pinpoint one thing because of course I have an, art, I have an artistic side. I, I, yeah. I love music and I, and I love movies. Maybe there, maybe well, there's we'll a talk, song, maybe there's a well, song. Well, there, well sure there's, yeah. but I've, I've also, I'm thinking of books and being from Montreal, there was nothing more important growing up than the Montreal Canadians. I mean, just yeah. You know, to, sure. yeah, to bring them up. So sure. in 1993, Stanley Cup, where you know we watched every face-off, basically, of was a, a source of inspiration that's with me till with me till today. It's probably made me a bitter old man because the Habs can't. <laughs> but it was so impactful at that time. But I think you know that the whole concept of the underdog is something that you and I share. I know you're alluding to what we talked about. And I'll bring it up. Yeah, because yeah. The movie, the movie Rudy is something that. You want you you you're you're a certain way before it, and after you take in something, then you're a different, a little bit changed afterwards. And Rudy is something that I'll always go back to. I I don't know how many times I've seen it. Yeah. But I asked you this the other day. You know, ask anybody how many times have you seen it, and how many times have you not cried when he gets into Notre Dame? <laughs> and mine is uh, fifteen and zero. You know, so I'm um, also goose egg. Yeah, <laughs> goose egg, and maybe more than fifteen. But I'm goose, and and I think it really resonates. Like Mark, it's a really here's a highly academic mind, but I think that movie really speaks to that, and that story really speaks to how one person's again rigor is a real theme. Think of the rigor, and think of the amount of times that he was told no. Well, I'll go to grit there. Yeah, I'll go to grit. So you know, coming out of the world of Martin Seligman and and UPenn, yeah, you know that that well i'm shifting away from rudy because i wanted to talk about rudy for a minute but the under I'll, I'll shift back but the underdog story and and overcoming and and uh achieving uh coming from behind has always always motivated me so those 93 montreal canadians you know with kirk muller kirk muller's nickname yeah kirk is work my montreal canadians jersey has a number 11 on the back and it's kirk is work because it wasn't the most talented player it was the hardest working and you and I bonded over this when we first met. Yeah, uh, we, yeah. I mentioned grit and you said, I have it in my luggage. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, Angela Duckworth coming Angela out. Angela Duckworth. Yep. Dr. And, Duckworth coming yep. out of the youth pen work. Uh, and grit is something that I go back over. It's something that I've instilled in my children from a very young age. Get it done at all costs. If it's positive. Obviously. Love it. 
But the positive psychology and the and the grit was something that if you look at the parallels here, you get you know the underdog uh, o- overcoming the odds. I love the overcoming the odds narrative, and grit is something that also changed the way I think about things. And then on the other side, you're going to like this. I'm surprising mm-hmm. you with this, I think. But Alan Deutschman, Change or Die. Have you read that one? No. Okay, Change or Die is a you're in behavioral you're in you yeah. know the behavioral change. You've got to know Change or Die. So change or die is about how willing you are to improve things uh, and, and realizing that it's not will, that there are other networks at play. And he'll talk about, you know, cardiac arrest sufferers mm. uh, that have a healthy lifestyle for six to eight months after, a, you know, some multiple bypass surgery. And then within two to five years are back at the cardiologist. So they've reverted back to all the things that brought them there in the first place. And maybe this is a good segue into if you want to start talking about neuroplasticity or, or, or yeah. what you're doing at ABI, which I love, is, you know, that, and, and we didn't mention that I'm a, I'm a scientific yeah, advisor, yeah, ABI, exactly. which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is something that I enjoy doing so much, not oh, just we love having ABI, you. but because I really believe in the, in the mission, right? But what, Al, you know, what Alan Deutschman it goes on and on about is how difficult behavioral change oh. actually is to achieve you know, and I've written about this as well as when you, you know, for me was the pack of cigarettes that when the government decided to put the warning labels on them Mm. and you would see pictures of, you know, really badly damaged tissue uh, and statistics that are just harrowing in terms of just living a healthy, a healthy life. And smokers are literally laughing at these warnings while they're, while they're smoking cigarettes. It didn't do anything to deter you know, the, the theme there is that behavioral change is extremely, so hard. extremely challenging. You know, has been a part of what you and I have done over the years. And, and check that out. And I just, I love working with you because it, again, it's about outcomes. Like that's what Mark said. And it truly is like, a, like full, like it's all about outcomes and we'll nerd out over outcomes and signals. And what are we seeing? What's interesting? How valid is the source that we're getting this reported signal from? You know, what's the, you know, what's the transfer of that signal to behavior? You know, these are the conversations we have. Um, All huge, uh, factors. And you, and you mentioned how reliable is the signal. So, you know, the engineers in me, the engineer in me has to perk up for a second because another thing that is a major, major factor is how much consumer level technology is out there and how often we get asked if it can be used in these kind of contexts, behavioral change, performance enhancement, medical applications and the performance and the behavioral change applications do not necessarily need to be medical. Mm. But if the technology is not at a certain level, you know, if the antenna doesn't work, doesn't matter how great the music you're transmitting, we won't hear it on the radio. And I think I just dated both of us by talking about that. <laughs> I guess we could, we, you could add, you could add a caption. What the heck is a radio? But I just mean that if the technology is not there uh, to bring you the, the, the information you need, then the outcomes will not, will not follow. So, you know, another one I get, we get asked a lot about the Fitbit and, you know, yeah. the Muse headset for EG. And these are wonderful, wonderful products because they change the conversation. They've absolutely changed the way people understand human measurement. And nobody knew what EEG was 10 years ago. Now people say, oh, is that the brain stuff? Yeah, there it is. It's a great, wonderful device. Is that the brain stuff? And you think something shifted in society because nobody knew that EEG was brain stuff outside of our world, yeah. you know, outside of the scientific and academic and medical communities. And, you know, the Muse device helped people understand that, but you cannot use the Muse device in a clinical medical no. 
application. It's a wonderful device, you know, just like the Fitbit is great for what it's used for, but you cannot bring it into a clinical, you know, the, the Fitbit is, it, people love it. It reminds me of the Nerf football. Okay? So I've, yeah. the, the Nerf football is a wonderful thing. You would never say that's not a real thing. It's one of the greatest things to have in your hand to play with, you know, in a pool yeah. in the backyard with your yeah. kids. Yeah. And but you're not going to play an NFL game with a Nerf football. You'll have the time of your life in the backyard with it. And it's a wonderful thing that sold billions and billions of units, but you're not going to diagnose, yeah. you know, brain tumor exactly. with it. Exactly. So, 100%. So NFL, it's got to be an NFL, uh, you know, it's got to be. I, a, I love it. And I think that, I think it be, being okay with that is good too. Like that's okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, the muse is not, is, is consumer grade. It's not commercial grade. It's a, and those are different. And, you know, something that I think you hit on that is also really, really important. I think you, you explained it very well, is that to drive long-term change, I think we're all human. And naturally, we're all a little bit lazy as humans. And as humans, we need to acknowledge that and recognize that if I'm recovering from a concussion, I would like for everything just to be better like that. Of course. I would like to take the new brain supplement I saw at Costco, take that pill and everything better. I want that. But actually, you know, the, the rehabilitation and changing the behavior, it's not as simple as taking the elevator and then ending up at the floor. Because, because if we're looking at changing long-term behavior further to what you were talking about around cardiology is you actually have to reinforce actual change. And days of activity, activities of daily living and behavior. And in order to do that, you know, Atomic Habits is a book I think of and, and a lot of other books out there to drive that long-term change, you know, Gladwell, 10,000 hours, although scientifically, I don't know if that's totally true, but that's okay. Be that as it may. If people understand it and it, it, helps. It, it makes sense. And I think that when you think about the top performers that you've worked with, which you've worked with many, you know, they don't take the elevator. Right, right, right. There's no shortcut is, is the, is the, no. take. yeah, I've been fortunate to work. I, I worked with a great company for many years and I, I was very lucky to work with some top sports psychologists. So I, I always, you know, I, I'm not even the passenger. I always say I was the guy, I was the technician in the back seat of the car, but I got to learn a lot. We were working with pro athletes, Olympic athletes, some big names, some big teams. Mm-hmm. And when you're there, you just realize to what extent uh, they don't believe in shortcuts. And what they're trying to do is not fix a problem the technology they're looking to enhance performance at that level which is get the last inch that they need you know so we call it fine-tuning the ferrari not changing a tire on your honda you know more like fine-tuning the ferrari but you realize to what extent these individuals will go for the extra inch and it doesn't come cheap right yeah it comes with a lot of a lot of hard work but maybe we'll talk i I don't know if we're if we're out of time mark but i know you another time we could talk about objective measures and neuroplasticity and you know how that relates but neuroplasticity is uh you know it's science fiction to some to most people but when you understand that habit is a neural a neurological pathway yeah you understand that emotions are neurotransmitter production and re you know uptake inhibition then you understand how you can affect that with your thoughts it's you know if you think positively you learn to think positively more easily. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not easy, but it's simple to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, in practice, it's very difficult. But what's, what's encouraging about neuroplasticity, I think, is what attracted me to it, is that you actually can physically improve something just like you would work out your muscles and get bigger. Yeah. And then you learn that, well, if you do faster 
you know, activity with less weight, then you work out fast twitch fibers or you work out slow twitch fibers. And wait a second, then you can also do mobility and flexibility exercises. And why is that athlete not bulky? Well, he or she is so lean because they're so nimble. And you think, well, you can fine tune these things. 100%. When you understand that, you realize that the possibilities. Possibilities. Like the limits are not where we think. No, and that's really no. encouraging and really motivating. And that's something that it really motivates, you know, our relationship. A lot of it is like, you know, the conversations that we'll have. And I'm I'm really grateful to be able to share your perspective with the people listening today because I feel like it makes me better is learning more of these some of these experiences is that many of us, and you know, one of my big driving uh, motivations is that uh, to provide options for people should they choose right. to try to level yeah. up. And in the world of, as we work together at ABI, and I love what you just said, was that we found that many people that struggle post-concussion, post-stroke, post-neurological cancer, any insult, any injury, once they've kind of discharged the community and, you know, what's wonderful is we're seeing the medical rigor, it's going on all the time. It's like the default mode network. It's constantly always working behind the scenes and we need to respect and honor that. It's always going. The the, the scientists, they never stop. And, you know, when I first started in this work, it was 24 months post-injury. That was the, the room for recovery. We're now seeing it more like three months. So progress is always happening. And that, that, that's why I pour optimism into my coffee every day. But, you know, because it's happening. But, but also acknowledging and understanding that, that change takes time and it takes focus. And if you're willing to put in that effort, you may come to learn that you're capable of more you ever thought, more than you ever oh, thought. Yeah. And in brain injury, this is the thing for me that, that yeah. continues to get me out of bed every morning, is many, many times and many people had been told, I think with very good um, intent, that their particular case has, you've kind of plateaued. There's not going to be an opportunity for further uh, improvement. And we have to be respectful of the medical community because not all of them you know, know what is yet possible. And the science is still going on. And with new data and new research, new yeah. possibilities are going to be explored. Well, you know, and now back to your question about books as you close this out, Mark. And I appreciate you know the nice things that you said. You know that I share that as well. But back to the books again, the brain that changes itself. Norman Doidge is where I was first exposed to Barbara, you know, Aerosmith Young, where I was blown away by the format in which Doctor yeah. Doidge decided yeah. to present these stories. And that's something that I think if people are curious about behavioral change or how you can actually improve your, the limits that you think are, are there, that's a wonderful, wonderful book. And Couldn't I agree more things too. And uh, I think you're, you're implementing that on a daily basis. And the more that you can bring that to people, uh, the better it will be for everybody. 100%. So, yeah. yeah. Shout out to Norman Deutsch. He's amazing. And uh, guy, yeah, yeah he's a Canadian guy. Yeah. Canadian. So yeah, he's wonderful. And, you know, I just, you know, I, I want to thank you again for your time today, for sharing, you know, your perspective, your knowledge, and, and, and for the, for the small Rudy shout out. I love that. It's a great, it's a great example. And, um, you know, for people that are listening here, you know, when we think about this work, you know, and they, maybe they're started a company, maybe they're looking to, to work towards for further compliance or to audit current systems. You know, how do people get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you and, and BML? We're always happy to help. Mark, you can post our information, but we're bmlhealth.com. 
uh, I was here as, uh, as, as Mark to talk about, you know, medical tech and, and changing behavior and, and neuroplasticity. Excellent. Uh, and, and always happy to contribute to your mission, Mark, because I think it's, uh, it's so inspiring and it's great to be a small part of it. So thanks. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And any kind of at the end here, you know, we've talked about a lot. Um, your main message is right on point. You know, you're uh, just really quickly at the end here. If we're to give you the crystal ball, you have the vision for the future in the world of, of health technology and, and just health in general. What does that look like for you? Mark Sobs got the crystal ball. You can shape the future, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. What does it look like? Oh, yeah. The, uh, the interconnected, interoperable, patient-centric health system that works and that's safe and that has a good outcome. So there's a lot of things that we need to do better in our health system today. Nobody has the answer because it's very complex, but giving the patient more freedom and understanding and control over their health, I think is a huge win uh, on a societal level. So that's our, that's our, our goal. I love it. Our goal here. I, think that, I think that's great. So Mark, you know, we'll dig a bit deeper into neuroplasticity and quantifying neuroplasticity, maybe Excellent. in one of our next episodes, Excellent. but thank you so much for your time. And thank yeah, you. A lot so of fun. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much for listening to the Brain Mastery Podcast brought to you by ABI Wellness. Be sure to follow us on social media channels at ABI Wellness. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.